I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hey all, this is Dana. A note before we get the episode started. In this episode, we incorrectly often refer to Nadine as the first Arab woman to ever be nominated for an Academy Award. That is actually not true. Nadine Labaki is actually the first female Arab to ever be nominated for an Academy Award in the category of foreign film. The first Arab woman to ever be nominated for an Academy Award is actually Jihan Nujem for her documentary film, The Square. The Square took place in Egypt and told the story of the country's uprising during the times of the Arab Spring. So we're sorry about that mistake and thanks for listening. Take care. I'm Dana Balut. And I'm Hiba Fisher. And you're listening to El Empire. Is it weird that it gives me goosebumps? <laughs> it went viral. It was everywhere. I used to tell my father, you will see one day, I will make a film and I will go to Cannes. <laughs> I don't know why I say that. I felt insulted. I was like, where is my audience? I didn't go to therapy. I think I should. This is an empire. Stories of exceptional Arabs around the world and their journey to the top. Today, we're featuring an award-winning Lebanese director who last year became the first female Arab director to be nominated for an Academy Award, which is also an Oscar, right? <laughs> that's, that's what you taught me two seconds ago. Yep. <laughs> They're the same thing. Dana, what was it like speaking with Nadine? I found her to be so kind and generous with her time and then also her thoughts. So it was kind of a relief for me because sometimes when you meet people that have become so famous, you expect that they might have developed an ego. But I, I actually didn't feel that from her at all. I was in Los Angeles and our producer Tamara Rasamni in Beirut met her at Moose Film Studio. Uh, and when we got into the room, she was ordering a, a birthday cake for her sister, which I thought was so sweet and very much something that I would do as well. Yalla, you ready? I'm ready. 
Okay, great. So actually, the first thing I want to start with is I want to play you a clip from uh, an interview you did 12 years ago. In times of the future, you, you're visiting film festivals around the world and you, you're on the list for what possibly um, in consideration for, for the foreign Oscar uh, next year. You're on the first, the first list, the, uh, the longer contenders <laughs> list. That would be incredible if you yes. could pull off one of these things, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I, I don't even, you know, I don't even dare t to dream of it <laughs> because, you know, it's a very big thing. And I'm scared, you know, of the disappointment. So, so I'm, I'm, I just say to myself, no, you, you, you're not going to get nominated. It's, re it's very hard and it's not easy. So I don't even dare to dream of it. It, if it happens, it would be a great thing for me, for my country, f especially now in this very, you know, tense period for Lebanon. It's the political tension is really, you know, very... And, and what do you think your next... So, Nadine, that was 12 years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you feel when you hear yourself saying that an Oscar nomination would be a dream that you don't even dare to dream? I feel the same, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I feel the same, even though we got it. Uh, we got, we were finally nominated for an Oscar, but it's as if it was uh, now. As if it, I'm, I'm still in the same, um, I'm still in the same mindset. Why? Why do you? Think I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because we come from, we come from a very small country. Um, I don't know if it's, uh, it, uh, it has to do with. Something we used to, I used to personally hear a lot when I was a child at school. You know, every geography class used to start with the teacher telling us, you see this invisible dot on the map, this is Lebanon. <laughs> this is where you come from. So I don't know why, maybe we, I've always felt invisible in that sense because I come from a very small uh, dot on the map and you f you grew up thinking or feeling that um, every dream seems like an impossible dream. Our guest today is Nadine Labake. Nadine is an award-winning Lebanese director, screenwriter, and actress. She's been a household name in the Arab world for her beautiful films like Karamel and Where Do We Go Now? Halat Lawin. The films tore down stereotypes around the Arab world, around women, while still taking on issues like religion, war, and sexuality. But today, Nadine is most known across the world for her film Capernaum, which she directed. The film was nominated for an Academy Award, making her the first Arab female director to be nominated for an Oscar. I cannot tell you how much of a pleasure and an honor it was for me to interview her. I really hope you enjoy this. I think that when you grow up um, during the war, um, first of all, I think this sense of injustice, this sense of not being able to live your childhood or to be a normal child um, raises lots of questions in your heads and you start wanting to change the world. Uh, you start wanting to change the reality that you live in, because you know there's something wrong. You know, when you lose friends or when you lose neighbors or when you lose a cousin, uh, you know, you start asking questions. And I think those questions also make you, in a way, want to change this reality. Want, it makes you rebel against that reality. And maybe it's the sense of rebellion also that made me want to make films. 
And I was very lucky because I used to live right, you know, above. We had a, a there was a small sh- a shop that used to rent videotapes. So I we used to spend a lot of time watching films and renting the same films over and over again. My my sister and I, and we used to. I mean, for for me, having the power on in the house meant being able to watch TV or watch a film. It was like the highlight of our day. Uh, because obviously, you know, most of that the time there was no electricity. So when we had electricity for us, it meant being able to watch a film or being able to watch TV. What were your favorite films to watch with your sister? Uh, definitely Greece was one of them. I, I must have watched this film, I don't know, thousands and thousands of times until the t- videotape was completely, you know, ruined or damaged. <laughs> Uh, and there was films like Les Sous-Doués. It was a French, uh, very, very funny film. Um, we used to watch Annie a lot. Annie, the the musical. Uh, you know, the cartoons like uh, Snow White or Cinderella. And um, I remember at some point, you know, when I was a little bit older, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was one of my favorite ones. And so I started wanting to create this different reality that has nothing to do with my own reality. So I decided very early, this is what I want to do in life. I want to make films. I want to change my reality. When you told your parents, like, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and you knew very early on, clearly, and what did your par- What was your parents' reaction to you expressing this dream that you had? My parents were very, very supportive, especially my father. My grandfather used to have a small, a very humble uh, theater, cinema theater, in my village in Baghdad. I didn't see this theater because it was destroyed before I was born. But my father used to tell me how much he used to love going there and spending time in the screening room. And he, he used to describe even the smell of the film roles to me. He wanted to be a filmmaker. He was dreaming of becoming a filmmaker. He, you know, the, the first salary that he got, he went and he bought a camera because he was also in love with pictures, with taking pictures and making films. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to do that. Also in the fact that I was also in a way making his dream, his dream come true, or I don't know how, but he was, you know, the first one to support us, my sister and I, because we both are filmmakers and we both dreamt of be- becoming filmmakers. And, and and so it was, there was no uh, objection whatsoever, even though it was like an, an impossible dream, because when we started, when I started um, going to, uh, you know, film school uh, in, in Lebanon, there was no films being shot. There was nothing. It was right after the war and there was nothing. It was uh, almost, you know, doing something that I will never end up uh, uh, being able to, you know, to, to do later on in life. But I used to tell my father, you will see one day, I will make a film and I will go to Cannes. <laughs> I don't know why I used to say that. If your father or your mother were to describe you as a child, what, what would they say? I don't know how they, they would describe me, but I, I remember that I was very shy and very quiet child. But then later on, I remember, you know, I remember the teachers in my school telling me, smile, why don't you smile? I don't think I was hard for my parents to raise. <laughs> I was, 
Um, but then I think this rebellion started at some point. What happened during those times? I, I used to live a very quiet, very social, very, you know, normal life. I was doing what everybody else was doing. But then there was a point where it was very, very clear to me that moment. I was having dinner with the same friends, with the same people I used to know for the past, I don't know, five years. And we used to hang out together, go out together, do the same things. And I remember very well that moment where their, their, the conversation started becoming like a humming in my head. And I was thinking, I, this is not my place. I have something else to do somewhere else. Why am I here? Why am I sitting here with these people I, I have nothing to do with? I'm not even interested in the conversation. I think I was, I was bored for a very long time, but I understood that I was bored at that specific moment. Uh, and then I changed everything. I really changed everything. I just started living a different life, started, you know, developing or trying to understand how far I can go in my, in expressing myself, how I can use this tool, which is filmmaking, because at that point I was exploring the female um, image through whatever I was doing, whether music video or anything. It was a, my way of experimenting and, and understanding how far I, I can go. I wanted to talk about this image of the woman and how you came to focus on that um, throughout your many films. Um, I've always had problems with expressing my femininity or being ashamed of my femininity, of my sensuality, you know. I've always wanted to explore that or maybe create women that are not like that or women that I would want to be. And one thing I felt was in common is that contradiction between who they want to be in life or who they aspire to be in life and what they end up being in life because of the pressure of society, because of the pressure of the family, because of the pressure of this, you know, pointed finger at you saying, you know, you should do that, you shouldn't do that. Uh, Aib, this I, uh, word aib, word, no, it's shameful. It's shameful to do this or that. So you start self-censoring yourself in a way. And I wanted to, I wanted to explore and, and understand why. In 2007, Nadine's first feature film, titled Caramel, fulfilled a promise that she had made to her father very early on that she would premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. The film Caramel featured the lives of five Lebanese women navigating issues like forbidden love, conservative tradition, repressed sexuality, aging, and lust. I personally loved the film because for the first time, I saw two things. First, conversations that I was having with my own girlfriends and that I had overheard among other women be depicted on a big screen. And second, it was the first time that I saw a portrayal of Lebanon outside the context of war and violence. So we ended up writing this film about those women that work in a beauty institute and that, you know, talk about life, talk about things. And I wanted to also understand the sadness that I see in almost every woman around me. There's something in their eyes. 
I don't know if it's related to war. I'm not talking about the new generation. I'm talking about my generation and my mother's generation and my grandmother's generation. I don't know if it's something related to the fact that they didn't, most of them didn't really achieve something that they are proud of, except, of course, achieving a family life or having a family or having children. But most of these women did not get the chance to achieve what they wanted to achieve in life or to be who they wanted to be. And so there is this sadness. And every woman I know... صوت سكربينات وإيدين تغني فيهن سكر يا Nadine would later revisit the Cannes Film Festival in 2018 for her film Kapernam, or Kafirnahum, depending on how you pronounce it. The story centers around a young boy named Zin, a street kid who flees his parents and somehow finds himself taking care of an Ethiopian worker, Rahil, and her baby son, Jonas. As Zin's life events unravel, he finds himself in a courtroom suing his parents for giving him birth. The entire cast of Capernaum are non-actors, largely playing out experiences from their own lives. In addition to the Jury Prize at the Cannes Film Festival this year, it picked up dozens of awards at other international festivals. It landed a Golden Globe nomination for foreign language film and was, of course, nominated for an Oscar in that same category. It was an extraordinary moment for Arab film. <laughs> Another thing I, I know that you have cared deeply about is the topic of um, children and, and refugee rights. Why did this mean so much to you? Uh, I think there's nothing more important than this. For me, this is the most, this is where you start. If you want to change something or making this world a better place, this is where you start. You start by giving children, you know, their rights. Giving children, before anything else, love. You know, for me, unloved childhood is really the source of lots of uh, violence and aggressiveness and hate. And living in Lebanon, unfortunately, this is something that you encounter every single day of your life. You know, wherever you're, you're, you're going, whatever you're doing, you see children around you uh, either working or begging or, you know, children in, in very, very difficult circumstances, sleeping on the sidewalks, hungry, cold, uh, walking barefoot, being beaten up. Unfortunately, we are adapting. We live with it as if it's not happening. So we have to really uh, wake up to this reality that there's, uh, you know, generations of children that are going to be very angry. They're going to grow up very angry. They're going to be, there are ticking bombs, uh, unfortunately. I don't know if I will be able to change anything for these children. Uh, but the film, I mean, Kafanahum created, at least it created a debate, uh, whether people like the film or don't like the film. That's a different story, but it created a debate. 
And the debate is the first step for, you know, to start uh, some kind of change. And my duty is to keep going. You know, we have to work on laws, we have to work on lobbying, we have to work on so many things to be able to truly change something. Uh, and, and that's what I need to do. For me, the film was very important because also it allowed me to understand the problem so much more because there was so much research um, before the film. I was very judgmental, obviously, before starting the research. You tend to, you know, come up with theories. Uh, and then when you go on the ground and when you see the reality of things, it really, I mean, changes and shakes you. It shakes everything within you. And you start think, seeing things in a different perspective. And the research process that I've learned now when I'm working has really changed me. And that's what I did in, in Kafarnahum. I mean, it took so much research. We researched for like three years. I used to spend hours in the courthouse just, just going there and randomly going into, you know, a court and just sitting down for hours and understanding and seeing how the justice system works and sitting with people, talking to people, talking to social workers, talking to lawyers, to judges. To, you know, I tried to tackle the problem from all the angles, so many different angles. I don't think a lot of people know how much research um, you did and how many years you shot, maybe, um, you know, just preparing for this film. I I saw that it was 600 hours of footage and your first yeah. take was like 12, yeah. 14 hours. Yeah, um, my, my first edit was 12 hours, yes. And now we yeah, have like uh, 500 hours of rushes, yes. Six months of shooting, two years of editing, three years of research before... It was a very, very long process, yes. How did you find your actors? Tell us more about that process. I knew that uh, it was very important that I don't work with professional actors uh, or with actors. I, I, I felt, again, I was not, I could not ask somebody to act the situation I was talking about. It needed to come from somebody who's living that situation. I wanted to move away as much as I could from the make-believe world. So I decided to work with people who are from that same experience, who ha are going through the same thing in their real life, and invite them also to collaborate in the process. And so when we started looking for the actors, I knew that we were going to be working with people who are coming from that same experience. So my casting crew used to go everywhere and, you know, look everywhere. And my casting director was really amazing also. And she, she found Zayn uh, on the street. He was playing next to his house and uh, with his friends. And so she saw him and she interviewed him. And, uh, you know, as soon as she saw him, I, I think she understood that we had something special. Was it, was it difficult to direct non-actors? Like, what's, what approach did you take? It was very difficult, yes. You know, that's why we decided to shoot for so long. We shot for six months. And, of course, the first take is always very, very bad. And you always wonder what you're doing <laughs> and if this is going to work or if you made the right decision and you start doubting everything. But then 
take after take after take after take after, I don't know, 14, 15, 20, 40 takes, it starts becoming their story too. And this is how, you know, the collaborative process works, you know, because take after take, it starts becoming their story and they start being even more involved and even giving um, or telling their own story more and understanding why we're doing what they're doing. And it becomes, at the end, the scene becomes really theirs, as if it was a, a scene from their own life. And, you know, if Zayn decides to, let's say, run around the block for an hour, we have to follow him in whatever he's doing. Because there, there's something there that life is giving us and that we need to really grab. It was always like that. I mean, it was, it was a very intense and very organic process. When we left off, Nadine was telling us about what it was like filming Capernaum. How was it for you? I mean, it's a very intense process to be filming for six months how was it for you as a like as a mom already of one child and then you're breastfeeding another child and then you're you're uh, you're like um editing room I heard is on the first floor and you're living on the third floor and I'm sure you had a bunch of people and your crew and your cast around you all yeah. the time I mean how did you manage that as a mother, as a wife, as a director, yeah. as a professional woman, and also on top of it, on a country with, you know, a bunch of uh, layers of tension, whether we like it or not, is constantly in a state of tension. How do you manage that? I used to go home every day at lunchtime. You know, I was, okay, wake up very early in the morning, breastfeed my daughter, go to work, uh, shoot until... Uh, one o'clock. At one o'clock, we used to break for lunch. I used to come back, sleep in the car, have my small nap in the car, come home, breastfeed my daughter, have this, you know, off time with her. It was like a meditation time for me. And it also allowed me to, you know, process whatever I was shooting that day and understand what needs to be done. It was my me time in a way, even though it sounds crazy, it was my me time. And then I used to go back, sleep again in the car, have a small nap for like 15 minutes and then get to work and be very not tired. It was on the contrary. Sometimes even my assistant, because of, I don't know, some kind of um, problem on the set, sometimes I used to not go back home because we were late or something. So he used to push me to go home because I was a different person. <laughs> when I came back, I was more calm. So sometimes he would go like, go, 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 Halas, we'll fix it. Go, go, go feed your daughter and come back. I don't want you on the set now. Why do you stay in Beirut? And is this kind of the, the freedom of chaos? Is that the reason why you also stay when you probably have a choice to live anywhere you want in the world? I think it doesn't even cross our minds, Khaled and I, to leave Lebanon. You know, unless we are in a situation where, you know, it's impossible to live here or our life is threatened, uh, we will not leave. I don't know. I feel it like a mission. I mean, this is where my inspiration is. This is where I feel... I'm the most efficient and inspired. Uh, this is where I feel I can make a change. I feel like it's my responsibility to stay. I don't even have a choice. Um, but but you, feel, you feel like change is possible. And I feel it's my duty to stay, especially now. And I'm very hopeful, you know, 
I'm very hopeful with everything that's going on with the revolution. I feel that we have won already. Yeah. The revolution that is is happening within each and every one of us, the potential that has unraveled and those discussions, the amazing discussions yeah. that we that you know is happening in each and every house in Lebanon right now in each and every apartment there's a there's a bunch of people sitting down together thinking of a different Lebanon, dreaming of a new Lebanon, conspiring for a new Lebanon. And this, for me, is already a big win. Nadine, how has your, your life changed after being the first Arab woman to ever be nominated um, in the Oscar category of a foreign film? Um, you've received so much attention. Oprah loves you and loves the film. <laughs> I mean, like every... <laughs> uh, how has your, your life changed since? It hasn't changed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in my the same apartment, same building, same neighborhood, uh, same life, same bubble. Mm. It, 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 the only way it changed is, of course, of course, you get this recognition and you start being um, approached by so many people and so many important actors and producers and they recognize your work and you receive lots of love from people here in Lebanon. There's there's a lot of love and there's a lot of hate too, but, but there's more love than hate. But I don't see my life changing. I mean, I didn't change my life. There's not, nothing changed really, apart from the fact that, you know, you have this recognition from people in the industry that, you know, recognize you as their fellow filmmaker. I'm part of the family now. I'm not anymore the small Lebanese director that is starting and doesn't know where she's going. And I'm recognized as a filmmaker. Um, that's it. What's been some of the hate that you've received? When you say hate, what has been some of the criticism? Like, what kind of hate? You know, there's lots of criticism regarding the film, regarding the intention of the film, regarding the fact that I don't belong to this world and I talk about this world. Some people, of course, don't like the film. And even even now, with everything hopeful that is going on, there's also this wave of criticism that sometimes paralyzes you. I'm not shielded. I'm not somebody who doesn't care what other people think or what other people, um, how other people see my work. Uh, it, it does get to me. It does uh, hurt me sometimes when the criticism is too harsh or when they start criticizing me personally, not only the work. Some people think, uh, I don't know, that, that I'm not entitled to be talking about this issue because I haven't personally lived it, as if they're saying, you know, somebody who's not lived it cannot feel for this problem and cannot feel for those children or um, yeah, things like that. What do you do in your hardest times in life? Who, who have you turned to the most? Uh, I have a very small circle of friends uh, and and family, and it's really them that I really rely on. Especially, you know, my biggest support is, is my husband. He's really my partner. He's really my collaborator in everything, um, especially, you know, in this last film. He was my producer on this film. 
We decided to produce it ourselves because we knew that we needed that freedom. Nobody was going to go into that crazy adventure with us, uh, not knowing what we were, you know, how much how much time it's going to take. Uh, we put our house on mortgage and, and without telling me, uh, it was really difficult financially for a while until we found the right investors and the right producers and all that. You know, I think he's really, really talented, not because he's my husband, but I th really think he's talented. So I rely on him on so many things. I have, um, I wanted to ask how your reaction was when you found out your husband Khalid had mortgaged the house without telling you. Uh, yeah, I thought he was crazy, of course. <laughs> I thought he was crazy, but at the same time, I had this faith during the whole process that nothing's gonna, nothing bad is going to happen, no matter how big the risk is. You know, even my actors were arrested. You know, Rahil was arrested during the film. Mm, uh, the father and mother of uh, Treasure, the small girl, uh, Jonas, in the film, w got arrested. And I had the faith that nothing was going to stop us, that they were, that we were going to be able to get them out, that we were going to be able to, you know, that this film was going to happen because it needed to happen. And even though I thought he was crazy, I was not scared. I was confident You know, sometimes we even, you know, I had to think twice before going to the supermarket. <laughs> we were not able to pay my son's tuition for a few months. And still, I was confident. I don't know. that I had faith. I had faith that this film had to be, had to exist. Even, you know, when I saw Zane, you know, he went, he came to my office the first time. And as soon as I see him... I knew in my, I don't know, I had this faith that this kid is going to have a different destiny. He cannot, he, it's impossible for this child to be destined to the street. It's impossible that Zane, Zane's future is on the streets. And now he's, you know, he's in Norway, he's, uh, he's learning, he's going to school finally. When I, when I met him, he didn't know even know how to write his own name. And now... He just finished shooting a film with Angelina Jolie and Salma Hayek. It's called The Eternals. It's a Marvel film. And it's a beautiful story, but it's not as beautiful with everyone. You know, one of the other girls in the film is now back on the streets because her parents wouldn't allow her to go to school, even though we were helping them financially and everything. They didn't want to. They, they pulled her out of the school and put her back on the streets. So... So it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not always a, a happy ending for everyone. But it's like that, you know. We win some battles, we lose some battles, and it's it's like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I want to ask you, what legacy do you want to leave? Uh, what legacy? Uh, <laughs> what legacy? I don't know. Uh, She was not that bad <laughs> or something like that. She did okay. <laughs> She was okay. <laughs> yeah. She smiled. You She, know, ended up smiling. She ended up smiling yeah. in the end. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Can I ask you, I struggle a lot with um, coming back to Lebanon. I was raised there and I'm in LA now trying to do a documentary and... I wonder a lot whether I should come back or not. And sometimes when I talk to you, 
and people like you, I think, I don't know what I'm doing in LA. Do you think I should mm. come back? I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in my heart, deep down in my heart, I think yes. But of course, it's a huge also responsibility to say that with the situation now in Lebanon. And I mean, there's so much to give to this country. Yeah. There's so much you can do, so much you can change. Your voice has a different resonation here than somewhere else in the world. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's so much to do here, so much to change, so much to. It's it's a. I mean, if all the if all the people with potential leave this country, I don't know what's yeah. left. So deep down, I think you should come back. But I mean, I can't really say it because it's a big responsibility, especially now with the situation. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'm so, so proud that you come from the country where I come from. Um, so thank you, Anjad, for existing. No, thank you. Thank you. And yes, please do call me or come visit if you come to Beirut. <laughs> I enjoyed I enjoyed our chat too, very much. This episode was produced by Tamara Rasamni, Alex Atak, Dana Balut, and myself, Hebe Fisher. Sound design by Mohamed Khezat, and fact-checking by Zaina Duedar. Our original sting was composed by Ramzi Bashur, and El Empire is a production by the Kerning Cultures Network. If you're liking El Empire, subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Also, leave a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're listening to us from. It helps boost our rankings, and other listeners can find out about these awesome stories, too. And next week on El Empire... I felt insulted. I felt <laughs> demeaned. I was like, where is my audience? <laughs> I deserve tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. They're not there. This is horrible. <laughs> but actually, what I needed was to be ignored for a long time. That's in one week. Thanks for listening. I don't have corona, I swear. That's the cutest sneeze. <laughs> oh my god, you have a corona. <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.